This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. So here we sit, middle of October, COVID-19, not going away. Don't listen to people who say it's going to go away on its own because the scientists will tell you, yeah, no, not uh, not on its own. It it didn't just come for a look around. We're not talking about some extraterrestrial that's coming down and saying, what have you guys been doing anyway? What have you, you been at this thousands of years? Wow, <laughs> we flew from our planet to yours. That's not what COVID-19 is. COVID-19 is a virus that's here. We're seeing a resurgence. That's that word of the day. And we're seeing it in a number of different countries. We're seeing it in this area. Joining us right now to talk about how things are going is Dr. Alex Summers from the Middlesex London Health Unit. Dr. Summers, thanks for taking some time for us. Glad to be with you. Hello. Why don't we why don't we begin with the school situation? We understand that Thames Valley District School Board is going to change to alternating days, which doesn't have necessarily a lot to do with COVID-19. But if you have not heard that, that is something that they are going to do. London District Catholic School Board is looking at that. But we have seen cases in schools. I think everybody knew that that was a, a possibility. How do you see things being handled in schools right now? We have certainly seen an increase in the number of cases across the community, and as a result, we see an increased number of cases associated with schools as well. The encouraging thing to date is that the cases that we're seeing in school have likely and most certainly acquired it out in the community and not necessarily at the school. What we're seeing in many ways is the working of all the procedures that have been put in place by the school boards to make sure that transmission doesn't happen readily in the schools. So that's really encouraging if we're going to take anything encouraging from all of this, is that the processes that are working, or forces that are put in place, pardon me, are working. The yeah. increase in case coast, caseload, though, definitely of concern. Definitely of concern. And, and when we look around at you know, what that is, we'd like to be able to say, oh, there's one cause. Don't worry, give us a second, and we'll go and we'll change that, and then we will have less of a cause. When you look around at at maybe what some of the things are that are attributing to that, what do you look at? So as we've been doing our case investigations over the last number of weeks and months, we try to understand better where the many points of transmission are happening in our community so that we can advise people, give some guidance, and potentially look at additional measures that could help restrict transmission. What we have seen consistently is that transmission of COVID-19 happens in unregulated, unmonitored social environments. Essentially, it's happening when you least expect it, when your guard is down, when it's the evening or the weekend or after school or in the break room at work, these are the places where transmissions do happen. And that's why you're hearing from us at the health unit that essentially if, if they're not in your household, that person could be infectious and you need to be wearing a mask and keeping two meters apart. It's if we take that approach that we're going to be able to keep schools open, keep businesses open, but it means taking a bit of a different lens to what life looks like when you leave the house. 
Dr. Alex Summers joining us, Associate Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. As we look around locally, the message has been very similar. As much as we've seen some things change, the message on how to act, what to do, whether it is distancing, whether it is masking, whether it's the washing of hands and the not touching of your face, all of that seems to have been pretty consistent from the beginning. What is it like to give that message and still know that some people are saying, bah, I'm not listening to that? It can be a hard uh, thing to continue to say the message, but I also understand it. When I even look at my own life, it can be hard for me every day to think, oh, I still need to wear this mask. Oh, I still need to limit my close contacts to my household. It's exhausting. So I appreciate that for people who have heard Dr. Mackey or myself or others say this over and over again, that it can be a bit of a broken record. But just as much as the we are over the pandemic. The pandemic is not over us. And that's so clearly the case when we see this resurgent we've seen over the last little while. What we're There's trying the to word do again. Find- it's, it's that word of the day and it's everywhere. The resurgence and some of it must come from fatigue and some of it must come from other things. And, and it's a matter of all of us just continuing to do what we're supposed to do. Dr. Summers, the flu shot is arriving. What do we need to know about the flu shot? Because normally we could be sitting having this conversation in any run-of-the-mill October and we'd be talking flu shot and nothing else. And then we would both go on our happy skip down the street merry ways. Now the flu shot kind of comes in behind COVID-19. But what do we need to know about it this year? Getting the flu shots important every year, period. It's really <laughs> important this year. As we see respiratory illnesses circulate in our community, it includes now COVID-19, of course. And we think, of course, that the flu season is still going to happen. So get your flu shot. It's now uh, being distributed into the community. It's available through pharmacies, through your primary care practitioners, your family doctor, your nurse practitioner. It's out there and it's free. So if you're over the age of six months, and if you're listening to this radio show, I'm sure you are, that flu shot is available for you. And this year, more than ever, we're reminded that these viruses are problems, and we can do something about it when it comes to flu by getting a flu shot. Take advantage of the things that you can do to protect yourself. Take advantage of that free flu shot. Dr. Summers, before we go, it is marching on through October, and we hear lots of conversation about Halloween, and I know it's been a big topic of conversation. It's been brought up at briefings, and Dr. Mackey has talked about it. Are are we waiting to hear something from the province on Halloween? Do you see this being something that each municipality looks at? Any suggestion on Halloween 2020? Mm -hmm. Halloween is going to look different. And I think as we sit here on October 14th, Halloween's coming up very quickly, we have to plan for a very looking, very different looking Halloween. I anticipate there'll be some additional messaging from the province on this. And you can also expect that over the next few weeks, the health unit's going to provide even more detail as to what we need to do here locally, particularly as we see this resurgence. One thing that we definitely know is that those Halloween parties are off the table. Um, it's those types of close gatherings of people in indoor settings that cannot happen, those will lead to outbreaks. So Halloween parties for sure are off the table and we'll have more details over the next little while, particularly as we watch the resurgence unfold. Well, we really appreciate your time and we really appreciate the insight in all three areas. Please keep yourself safe and Dr. Summers will talk again. Thank you so much, Mike. You take care as well.
That's Dr. Alex Summers, Associate Medical Officer of Health with the Middlesex London Health Unit. You can still pick out a costume. You can still put one on and sit on the couch. It's not always as fun, but these are the things that we've got to give up. I mean, it's it's the short-term pain for long-term gain. That still exists. It just depends on how you want to define short. Short can be 10 months. Short can be a year. That can still be short. It's not, hey, this is going to be short-term pain for long-term gain. If we do something for two weeks, everything will be fine. Yeah, that, that's not this time around. That's, that's not it. So Halloween, a little different. And it is the big house parties that you just can't have. And that doesn't just point fingers at college and university students. That points fingers at everybody. Everybody knows somebody whose Halloween party you want to get invited to, right? That's 2021. Let's uh, plan big for 2021 because Halloween itself is going to be different. How do they plan to do trick-or-treating? Are we going to hear something from the province? You heard Dr. Summers say there they expect to get some messaging from the province in the next little while. If I'm the province, I'm, I'm handing that out now. I'm handing that out like little chocolate arrow bars. That needs to be done now, not later. Now. And I don't understand where that messaging is delayed. There is an amazing story to tell that has London connections, may wind up with more London connections, and involves the saving of a man's life. Literally, the saving of a man's life. He was about to be deported to Cameroon, where he is from, where he faced execution. Not because he's a criminal, just because of the way that things work in Cameroon right now. And he was going to be deported from the United States. Instead, who knows, he may be in Canada right now, or may be still working out a way to get into Canada. All of this in the midst of a pandemic. It's a pretty remarkable story, and we will tell it in three minutes from now coming up we're going to talk about the forest city film festival that's in a half hour from now we'll take a look at what gets going this weekend what this is all about and how that works in a pandemic because that's not all that easy as this week moves along we've got to look at this question what if donald trump won't leave there are three options for the u.s election one donald trump wins and remains president for another four years. Number two, he doesn't win and decides, yeah, I've, I've had all I can take. I will graciously bow out. Or three, he loses and doesn't leave. And that's something we're going to talk about tomorrow or maybe Friday. So just to bring your attention to that coming up on London Live, I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. Tomorrow, our Washington bureau chief, Reggie Cicchini, is actually going to be at the Donald Trump rally and is going to be joining us just after 1.30. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is due to begin speaking. We're going to monitor that conversation, and we're going to monitor anything that comes out of that. Anything you need to know, you will know immediately. But being able to tell the story of and damn Kenneth and Don is something we wanted to take some time for today. He had written something that summarized what he's been through. 
He's 29 years old, from Cameroon, and a member of what is the English-speaking minority in Cameroon. And the French-speaking government asserts its power over the minorities in Cameroon. And there have been, and I'm not even encouraging you to Google these, but if you want to search and you want to read up a little bit on Cameroon, you can read up on atrocities. There have been extrajudicial killings. There have been jailings, imprisonment. There has been torture. There has been excessive force to disperse peaceful demonstrations. So maybe what we all need to do is take stock of where we live. I want you to take your right hand or your left hand right now. Don't raise it into the air just yet, but I'm, I'm going to mention a couple of things. And if you've ever been or if you've ever done any of these things, I want you to raise that hand up. Okay, you ready? Have you ever been involved in a peaceful protest? Raise your hand if you have. Have you ever been involved in what you would call an information session? What about a walk in support of something that may have a political context to it? Have you ever marched or, or walked in support of something that was maybe asking for change that wasn't happening? How about have you ever spoken out publicly, maybe just even in public, about anything that may have a political connotation? All right, we had a lot of hands up. Now, now after that last one, I think we've got most hands up. Well, that's the kind of thing that doesn't go on everywhere. And when you face the harshest of harsh punishments for being involved in any one of those things, you have to do what you can to survive. And and damn Kenneth and Don, who's again 29 years old and from Cameroon, was facing deportation from the United States back to Cameroon where he was facing execution so how did this happen what exactly was he doing and what exactly took place in even the last 24 to 36 hours that have changed his life completely and thirdly what involvement do londoners have in this because london has a very definitive connection to this story and one of those people who has london involved in that connection is megan walker who joins us right now megan thanks so much for being here how are you i'm really good thanks and you well i'm okay you started tweeting about this story and you started tweeting about and damn and linking to his story how did you first hear of his story well, the world uh, is pretty small, and my sister lives in London, England, and her friend um, lives in, um, oh my gosh, where does she live now? She, she lives in the U.S., and she um, contacted my sister just to have a chat, and they were talking, and then this woman explained, Florence is her name, explained to my sister, Christian, that they were trying to help a young man uh, from Cameroon who had been charged with hostilities against the fatherland, which is really protesting against the government, um, and was going to be deported. Um, and originally they said he would be deported yesterday, um, and we didn't know the time. But 
this call came to me on Saturday, and my sister said, can you help? And, of course, I read the story, and I thought, well, I, I can try to help. And so um, thank goodness for Ryan Goss and his team at Peter Frederick Scotus's office because I called him over his Thanksgiving dinner, and he was able to provide some guidance. And then Peter and Josh and Ryan at that office made lots and lots of calls. And um, yesterday we had an incredible day. I mean, this has been such a whirlwind of three days of ups and downs and roller coasters and working 24 hours a day and speaking with people all over the world. Uh, Florence, I forgot originally because I'm exhausted, but she's from Alabama. Anyway, yesterday we find out that he was on a bus at the airport to be loaded onto the plane. And we were very concerned and nobody could reach him. And then we were told he was on the plane. It was about to leave. And for hours, we did not know where this young man was. And then we received notice that he had been taken off the plane because of um, communications that Peter's office had made with Border Services. Um, they examined the case and sent a letter. And what, uh, the letter outlined that Dam uh, would be offered an appointment to meet around um, asylum in Canada. I mean, it's just so exhausting and whirlwind, and I don't even know how I found myself really in the middle of all this because it's not my area of expertise. But you know what? You are somebody who gets things done. So uh, I don't know that we're telling this story in, in quite the happily ever after, hopefully ending, if if you're not involved, Megan. So mm-hmm. let's, let's kind of break this down then a little bit so we have a 29 year old man who has asked for assistance in the united states has told his story if i go back to cameroon i risk execution i risk execution and there is a legitimate reason for that and you can again like i said do a little studying into what's happening in cameroon right now and you'll see that no yeah he he can face execution for uh, what how did you term it against the government well it was, so the charge is called hostilities against the fatherland and there's a lot of like it's a civil war happening now in cameroon because there's a small part of the country that uh, are individuals who speak english and the rest of the country speaks french and the english speaking uh, individuals are discriminated against and picked up and killed and their villages are, you know, set ablaze. And so they held a peaceful protest against the government. Um, and he was one of the individuals who was picked up as a result of that. He did manage to escape. Um, unfortunately, they came in and uh, raped his sister really violently. But, my God, it's in a story. This man escaped. He, he went into the woods. He eventually um, entered the United States through San Diego in California and just went up to them and said, I'm here, I want, uh, you know, uh, amnesty or refugee status, um, and can you help? And since then, he's been flown probably between eight different um, detention centers and five different cities and states, and and yet, you know, this this man got off that plane, got back to, settled into the detention center, made a phone call, and he said, well, I never lost hope. I knew it would happen. It's just unbelievable. And it's so rare for something like this to happen. Now, it doesn't mean Canada will admit him, 
but he has the grounds for admission. And so I can't believe there would not be an admission uh, under um, asylum. You know, he's, he, he's, he faces the death penalty, and that's something that we certainly wouldn't send somebody home to. The U.S., um, however, I can tell you, he has been tortured in these detention centers. He's been denied his human rights. Women in these detention centers are facing uh, forced sterilization, so hysterectomies without appropriate, um, you know, uh, anesthesia. Like the, the, It's a really, really terrible situation. It's a human rights emergency. And whoever thought that would be the case in the United States of America, our partner, like, it's unbelievable. Megan Walker joining us as we talk about Ndam Kenneth Ndon, who is a 29-year-old from Cameroon who faces execution if he is deported. Yesterday, he was on a bus to go to the airport to get on a plane that eventually would get him back to Cameroon where he would face these charges that had been levied against him uh, for speaking out against the fatherland. And now he will get a chance to make his case in Canada and perhaps be spared deportation back to Cameroon. And the idea that he was already on the plane, I mean, Megan, he may have one heck of a story to tell about, you know, the, the lights dinging on and and being about to back up out of the jetway and taxi to the runway. And next thing you know, here come some people looking for him on the plane. This is remarkable. It, it is unbelievable it's like what something you'd see in a movie and um i I just uh, i i can tell you i'm exhausted i can hardly talk because literally it's been 24 hours for three days in a row so how that's like 36 hours i mean we really haven't been sleeping um but but i i I can't imagine sitting on an airplane with my seatbelt on and with a lot of other people who were being sent back, you know, deported, like he was on that plane for. Um, and then they came and called for him, and he got off the plane. Like, it just, it's, it's just unbelievable, really, isn't it? And so, for me, I think what resonated with me, there were two things. One, of course, is that um, nobody should uh, be killed for standing up for what they believe in. And that's why I'm so fortunate in this country. I stand up against government all the time publicly. I make statements about all sorts of things. And I've never once been worried or fearful of um, arrest, let alone execution. Um, And secondly, I am just absolutely outraged by what's happening in the United States in these detention centers. And something needs to change that the the global community the global human uh, rights community has to come together and put a stop to this it's just absolutely appalling so we well, have we one the- man you know one man is lucky and there are 200 cameroonians in the same prison as he is also being you know tortured um there are people from all over the world in these detention centers that have um, arrived in the U.S. for safety and are being turned away and sent back to execution. It's just appalling. Well, we hear the stories of families being separated, but that seems to only be the surface when you start hearing stories, and it's one that no doubt and Dan will be able to tell and, and give details to. And Wow. Well, Megan, 
congratulations on on making this happen. Hopefully you get a a little bit of sleep tonight and then we see where his case winds up going. But if he's able to at least get a hearing and state his case to Canada and Maybe just maybe we can look at uh, at how that plays out, and uh, and here's hoping it does have that happily ever after ending. And also to raise attention in Canada about what's happening in the United States and and Canada's role in ensuring that the Human Rights Code is uh, enforced, the the International Human Rights Code, which is not right now, and so. Um, that's, you know, this will help with raising some of that attention and I'm appreciative for the opportunity to talk about it. So thanks, Mike. Let's talk about it again anytime, Megan. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, thank you. Take good care. Take care. Bye. That's Megan Walker from the London Abuse Women's Centre. And in this case, <laughs> from the case of Endam, Kenneth and Dawn. And as Megan says, yeah, this is, this is one story. But it's one of those stories that becomes really powerful and can raise attention. If you've got people coming out saying, hey, you want to know what's going on here? Think of how many times we have looked at countries who have had poor human rights records. We have dealings between Canada and whichever country it happens to be. And if they have a poor human rights record, immediately it raises flags And you'll have individuals speaking out saying, why do we deal with that country? You know what they're like? You know what they do? And now we get all kinds of stories coming out of detention centers in the United States. And this is going to be another one right now. And damn story is more what's happening in trying to avoid being deported to Cameroon, where he faces execution. But eventually it may come to, yeah, here's what I went through following the time that I arrived in San Diego. And that's uh, that's something that, that we've got to pay close attention to, no matter whether they're our neighbor or not. You've got to make sure everybody's on the up and up. If you know, If you hear something coming out of your neighbor's house and you think, that, that that doesn't that doesn't sound right. Something's wrong there. You have two choices. You can sit by, or you can say, "Wait a minute, that's uh, that something's not right there. I've I've got to do something about that." The Forest City Film Festival is coming up. It starts October seventeenth. It runs through to the 25th, and it always has some pretty amazing aspects to it. And we have one amazing individual who is a part of it this year. Professor David O'Keefe joins us right now. He has affectionately been called Canada's Indiana Jones, which is probably one of the coolest things anyone could say about anybody. And he's also a recipient of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal awarded uh, by the Minister of Veterans Affairs. He is someone who has been involved in From Dieppe to D-Day, the untold story with a great friend of London Live, Ted Barris. Please welcome Professor O'Keefe to London Live. Professor O'Keefe, how are things? I don't know whether we've lost him. Professor O'Keefe, please tell me we haven't lost you. We may have. 
We will try and get Professor O'Keefe back. Uh, he is not right now running from a large boulder that is rumbling down some kind of cave trench. That's not happening. Uh, he's not in a pit of snakes. That That's not happening. But he has had some incredible adventures over the years. Professor O'Keefe, can you hear us now? Yeah, everything is good. Everything hey, is fantastic. Good. Thanks so much. <laughs> for doing this today uh you have a resume that uh that is is quite unique if not amazing can you take us through the path that got you traveling all over as you have oh boy i guess you could say that started with a passion for history many 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 years ago and uh, i was lucky uh, about 20 almost 25 years ago now to uh, start working with History Television when they first started up in the late 90s. And over those years, I've done about 20 documentaries, and I've done a series, uh, you know, a couple of books that I've been lucky enough to turn into bestsellers. But really, uh, the reason why I ended up uh, marrying up with the Forest City Film Festival was because of my work in television and the fact that I get a chance to interview who what I consider to be kind of a leader in what I do, which is television history, and that is Andy Robertshaw who is the British historian who, uh, as I'm sure you know, has done a lot of amazing work himself over the years. And you're going to be doing some moderating this year at Forest City Film Festival? Yeah, I was approached by Dorothy Downs a couple of weeks ago uh, and asked me if I'd be interested in having a really cool chat with Andy Robertshaw. Um, and I kind of thought at first I was being interviewed, and she said, no, 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 we want you to do the interview. And when I found out it was Andy, I was just blown away because, um, you know, this is something that uh, I think is rather unique, and they are starting what they call an up-close conversation. This is the first time they've done this at the film festival. And so I get a chance to uh, break the ice um, let's fingers crossed it's going to work out nicely but um, when they tasked me with interviewing Andy Andy is just the perfect host for, or perfect guest for this because for those of you who may not know the name Andy was the historian on last year's Academy Award winning 1917 he's also worked with Steven Spielberg on uh, War Horse and he's worked with Peter Jackson as well so he is pretty much the heaviest hitter you can find in the history realm when it comes to history and film. That's fantastic. Well, that is a big part of the Forest City Film Festival this year. Professor David O'Keefe joins us. How are you carrying this out? Because normally you'd have mm. maybe a beautiful auditorium to be in or you know, a <laughs> spot at, uh, at what we know as the London Convention Center. So how's it happening this year? Well, actually, I'm inviting everybody into my house. Um, hey! As a matter of fact, yeah, like everybody else in the world now, we're zooming in. And um, I will be sitting here in my house, which is just outside of beautiful Montreal. And uh, Andy will be over in England, and everything will be puck-handled through the uh, Forest uh, City Film Festival headquarters. And um, so you're going to be catching us in a very relaxed kind of atmosphere. As a matter of fact, I promised I'd, you know, have the fire roaring in the background. And uh, it'll be two, two gents sitting down talking about history and its applications on film and how Andy has pulled off some of the most amazing things that you will, uh, you will have seen in, in uh, historical movies over the years. So I'm really looking forward to this. It's, you know, as you can tell, I'm probably more excited than most people about this. Would you say we have enough accounts 
of certain parts of history. You've done a lot of work on Dieppe, or if you look at some of the other big battles, I mean, the Dominion Project did a lot to try and and record what that was like and and how it went and all those sorts of things. When you go to translate something to a historical account now or to even a, a feature film, how challenging is that based on the fact that you can't say, well, yeah, just pop that video on and we'll take a look at that again. Yeah, I mean, that is the difficult thing. But of course, you know, we tend to forget that, you know, in the modern age, we have incredible archives. And, you know, this is a testament to the governments and to the archivists who have been able to uh, keep these going and catalog them. So, you know, when I'm doing my work or Andy's doing his work, the first stop for us is going back and getting the original documents from the time. Original documents, original photographs, even film footage, depending on what era we're dealing with. More challenging for Andy, because Andy does a lot with World War I, and as you know, uh, film was in its infancy at that time. So um, it is, without a doubt, a challenge, but you can, uh, you can expect that uh, historians do not leave any stone unturned whatsoever. And that's certainly what uh, sums up Andy's work, as you will see. When you look back at some of those battles that existed in the First World War, the Second World War, how important is it for us to understand the context of what happened in those wars now for young people going forward? Because 1917 is something that will attract anybody, and you you learn while you're watching it. So how important is it to keep that kind of a narrative going? It's absolutely crucial. I mean, you know, one thing as a historian, and I've been working as a historian professionally now for 25 years, and I I teach and I, you know, write books, you realize that the context is everything, and you realize as much as everything changes, the basic narrative of us as, you know, a species um, really doesn't change. And that's the fascinating part. In other words, the, the narrative is always the same, the pits, the valleys, things to watch out for. And that's one of the reasons why that from any aspect of history, any time, any time frame, there is always something that you're going to learn about yourself and about the times you live in. So that's exactly, uh, you know, what we're going to be looking at when, uh, when we talk to Andy on Sunday. Forest City Film Festival gets underway on the 17th and lasts till the 25th, and this is a big part of it. You can go to fcff.ca for more information on the entire festival. Uh, Professor O'Keefe, in in your travels around, I mean, the experiences you've been able to have, the things that you've been able to kind of stand and say, yeah, this happened here, does that ever get old? No. As a matter of fact, that is the greatest thing about doing what I do. I mean, it's one thing to be, like you mentioned before, you know, the Indiana Jones thing. It's, you know, I always tell my students it's always fun when you're in the, when the, when you're in the archives, especially as a military historian from World War II. There are plenty of Nazis, but no snakes. But there's <laughs> nothing like getting out in or on the field of battle um, when you can actually smell the air, what it feels like to be there and to really take in all the senses. Um, it is one of the greatest experiences that anybody who has any interest or passion uh, for history could ever, 
ever uh, expect to uh, find. And so that's something that, you know, I certainly um, I certainly like to pass on to my students. And I know, for instance, when Andy and I, we just last week, we did a, a quick little rehearsal. And that is something that Andy and I share. He's done a lot of battlefield tours over the years. And so have I. And of course, I did my, you know, my show War Junk for History Television. And Andy's done a whole bunch. So I think what you're going to see on Sunday is a lot of that rubbing off. Uh, you know, in the stories uh, that come out about the experiences that Andy's had and also some of the experiences I've had over the years. What is it like to stand in some of those places and just think about what has gone on there? It is, without a doubt, the most moving experience one could have. There is no doubt about it. Um, You know, for me, it conjures up all different you know, aspects of history that I've read over the years. And I, you know, I remember going back my first time in Europe was 1989 when the wall was coming down and, you know, I had been reading military history for many, many years. And then suddenly to walk those battlefields, it just brought everything I've ever read on the page a lot, you know, to life. And it gives you a a newfound appreciation And I think that's probably the best way of putting it, um, that you really develop an empathy for those men who went and women who went before you. And you truly, when you stand there, you're walking with ghosts. There's no doubt about it. Well, that is something certainly remarkable. And again, another one of those unique experiences. If you want more on Sunday's conversation or you want more on the Forest City Film Festival, again, fcff.ca. Professor O'Keefe, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please keep up the great work. Look forward to the conversation this weekend and please keep safe. Oh, thanks a lot, Mike. You too. And to everybody down there as well. Keep safe. That is Professor David O'Keefe, who will be at the Forest City Film Festival this week. As people like to say, he's the Indiana Jones of Canada, where he has traveled around. He has been an official historian. He's done, whether it's shows like War Junk that he talked about for history television, he has been to all of these places to be able to say, okay, this is is what we need to know about what went on in our past we'll take a break up next we are going to be talking about energy we're going to spend a lot of time on energy and hydro in the final hour of the program and we'll talk about what we need to know on our hydro bills going forward we'll also look at how the ontario government is dealing with hydro through the eyes of a critic through the eyes of ndp energy critic peter tabins He's coming up. You're listening to London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.